Welcome to Chowder and Grits, the podcast for ACC and Hokies football. Today is Monday, September 23rd, and we're talking week four in the ACC. A uh, interesting week, uh, good for the most part, not too bad, not too shabby. A few buys, a few big games. We had Notre Dame, Georgia that we'll hit on. Uh, Miami uh, with a uh, kind of a head scratcher, and uh, the UVA Old Dominion game was also uh, a little bit, a little bit um, iffy there for a while. But before we uh, jump into those, Tim, what's going on? Hanging out. It's a nice Sunday. Got to watch uh, Kyle Allen pitch a pretty good game for the Carolina Panthers. Ended up with three touchdowns uh, and looked good, which was a stark contrast to the way Cam Newton has looked for the past 365 days. So that was fun. I'm glad the Carolina Panthers finally got a win and and got off on the right foot. Uh, But, you know, that always makes for a good Sunday. Yeah, uh, Daniel Jones looked very good. So all of those people that had such a uh, boisterous opinion about him going sixth overall, he's looked like the best rookie quarterback in the NFL this year, at least from uh, from that one start. So that was was good to see uh, for old Daniel um, getting his first win and his first NFL start against the Tampa Bay Bucks. Uh, I'd be remiss to not mention my Packers being 3-0, so uh, excited about that. But, um, you know, Tim, it was an interesting week four in, uh, in college football, really. You know, we had, some, we had some big games outside of the ACC. You know, Michigan got railroaded by Wisconsin, and uh, I think it's pretty clear that Michigan is or was uh, one of the more overrated teams heading into this season. No question. Uh, Wisconsin, however... You know, they just keep trucking along. They uh, they look like they're a contender. So um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with them in the Big Ten. Another maybe not so high profile, and uh, I've been told by my wife if I don't mention this, uh, I may have to find a hotel tonight, but Southern Methodist University yes. uh, beats TCU. So, And uh, they won the... Uh cast iron skillet yeah first time since 2011 first 4-0 start since 1984 yeah. uh they actually i looked at the polls they're they're sitting at 28 right now so uh yeah. shane bouchelle and sonny dykes they're off to uh they're off to a nice little start uh that was probably smu's most difficult matchup uh on the year at least left on their schedule, so it'll be yeah, interesting that got to see. Me, that got me fired up. I got to tell you, one of the cool things about college football that doesn't get enough shine is the weird rivalry trophies that exist. I think the yeah. the cast iron skillet's right up there with Paul Bunyan's axe as one of my favorite trophies in the world of college football rivalries. Yeah, I'm just kind of glad to see like an NCAA dynasty simulation come to life because <laughs> yes. SMU was a target for me. Uh, because yes. they were typically a one star, and I tried to take them to back to glory before the death penalty days. And how do you think I knew uh, about the cast iron skillet? As soon as I saw that score, I was like, "Oh, well, awesome! That's <laughs> yeah. a cast iron skillet. Cast iron so, skillet you know, back in Dallas, where it belongs." Thank you, NCAA 2004. But uh, yeah, then th- then there was another game: um, Washington State UCLA. And for anybody um, not on the West Coast. I uh, probably didn't see this one live, but uh, final was 67 to 63. UCLA with a stunning upset, and they came back from uh, quite a deficit. But uh, that was a that was a crazy crazy finish. So nothing uh, much nothing needed like... win for Chip Kelly too. Yeah, much needed, 
much needed. Nothing uh, too shocking in the ACC, I would say. Uh, but we're going to talk about those games in a second. First, Tim, let's talk about Notre Dame at Georgia. Let's get the non-ACC slash somewhat ACC school out of the way. So, you know, before I forget, I just want to say one thing. Can Notre Dame just go sure. back to the matte gold helmets? I don't like the yeah. chrome look. You yeah. know, sometimes... really shiny. Sometimes things like that will grow on me over time. And it's been, I I want to say, at least three years of this chrome helmet now. It's not working. Just go back to the mat. Go back to the Rudy era. Gold mat. Beautiful gold dome helmets. And just let's make everybody happy. So I don't was, know what it was about uh, the helmets, but, I mean, Notre Dame's helmets looked extra wet the entire game. Yeah, they... That's just how they always look. So, yeah. Uh, that was your Chowder and Grits Fashion Minute. And uh, by the way, I forgot to mention if this is your first time joining us, hit that uh, subscribe button. And, uh, you know, thanks for listening. But, uh, you know, Georgia was a 14 point favorite, Tim. And led by 13 late. But Notre Dame came back. That's why they call them the Fighting Irish. So, you know, Ian Book played a pretty good game. He hit Chase Claypool to cut the deficit by, what was it, six points, 23-17, uh, with about right. three minutes left. Defense got the stop, but the offense could not uh, could not make anything else happen. Georgia's defense held, and Jake Fromm and company hold on. So, held on. But, you know, one thing I'll say, Tim, I thought Notre Dame played pretty sloppy in this game, specifically in the first half. I uh, just didn't yeah, no feel doubt. like it was well executed. Um, you know, Book had a couple of picks. There was five false start penalties across the entire course of the game. Even the uh, touchdown pass that that Book threw in the first first quarter, I believe, maybe second quarter. Uh, you know, the tight end just stuck his hand up and almost you know knocked it down. It wasn't actually intended for him. He did end up catching it, but it just wasn't a clean looking play. But you know, the one thing that Notre Dame did do well, which I think really kind of surprised everybody was they were able to hold that Georgia run game relatively in check considering they came into this game like ranked as one of the worst defenses against the run in the country so sure. held, held Georgia to about 152 yards it's pretty good DeAndre Swift had 98 and a touchdown but um, Georgia from that standpoint you know I've heard some people say that they were kind of disappointed that Georgia didn't win by more or you know, didn't look as dominant as they expected them to. And I don't really get that. You know, they were pretty much in control of the game the entire second half. You know, Fromm had a very good game, extremely efficient. He was 20-26 for 187 in the touchdown. Some of the throws he was making under duress was just incredible. So, you know, I think they're going to be just fine with Jake Fromm at the helm. You know, this was a top-10 opponent. And I think we're just, we seem to just have this opinion of Notre Dame where, well, they just don't have the athletes to match up. Well, they proved last night that they do because it was a very physical game. They played up to the level of the opponent. And this wasn't the 30 to 3 loss to Clemson in the college football playoff. They proved that they belonged in the same field as Georgia, but Georgia at the end of the day won the game. So, um, only 42 yards on the ground for Notre Dame. Um, pretty good defense performance for Georgia. I don't know where you stand. I felt pretty good about both teams. Thought Notre Dame played a little sloppy, but 
I didn't think they were undisciplined besides those false start penalties, which was probably more related to noise. No, I mean, I think Notre Dame will feel like that that game was right there for the taking. Um, you know, like you said, they were sloppy. They didn't execute the way they wanted to in a lot of plays. And honestly, both teams just seemed to be ultra conservative. Um, there were a lot of tweets that I was retweeting and, and were making me chuckle that was saying, you know, Ian Book and Jake Fromm were in a competition to see who could throw the shortest pass during that game. And, you know, that's the way it felt for a bulk of it. Uh, so I, I thought both teams were a little conservative. I think this, like you said, proves no, that Notre Dame team's a top 10 team. Um, going into Sanford Stadium at night against that Georgia team, putting up the fight that they did and controlling Georgia in the way that they did was impressive, especially to me, considering I thought they would be absolute eat, absolutely eaten up on the ground by Georgia. Um, you know, Jake Fromm, again, he was efficient. He only had six incompletions, but he only had 187 yards and one touchdown. So completely contained by Notre Dame. You got to think Notre Dame is... It's got a bright future ahead this season. It's a shame they weren't able to pull that one out, you know, and they'll look at it and say, you know what, that was one we should have had. Again, I think Ian Book is one of the better quarterbacks in college football. Um, his escapability always continues to amaze me, and I thought he played pretty efficiently. Um, there were some passes missed, but that's going to happen when you talk about playing Georgia. Uh, but this is not uh, the Notre Dame team that's going to be accused of being overrated all year. Um, this is This is a top 10 Notre Dame team. Um, and it'll be interesting to see where everything shakes out at the end of the year for them. As far as Georgia goes, uh, this doesn't change anything, right? They could have lost this game, and, and it wouldn't even have hurt them as far as the college football playoff goes um, because they're going to have to get over the Alabama hump at some point. And if they're able to do that this year, uh, you know, they'll have everything to play for this season, and they'll be sitting in the college football playoff at the end of the year. Um, but I'm not sure that this game told me a whole lot about Georgia's chances of taking out Alabama um, honestly, I was pretty impressed with Notre Dame, uh, Georgia less so in this game. Yeah, but did you leave feeling that you were disappointed with Georgia? Not disappointed because of the talent on Notre Dame side. I would disappoint is not the word that I would say. I, I, I think that it's somewhere in between disappointment and uh, accepting or complacency with Georgia. Um, I, I just, I expected a little more from them. I'm not going to sit out here and say, you know, oh, well, they should have put up 40 plus points against Notre Dame. And, uh, you know, Fromm should have had 300 plus yards and Swift should have broke a hundred. Um, but I will say, I think the offense should have had a better day against what I still think is Notre Dame's weakest link, which is their defense. Um, the fact that you had Notre Dame going into Sanford stadium and bottling them up like they did can't bode well for that Georgia team when they go to play the likes of Alabama's defense. So um, I, I, if you look at it through that lane or that lens, maybe slight disappointment would be the word. Um, but it was just surprising. Honestly, it was surprising more than anything to see Georgia play the way that they did. Yeah, I'd say the, the, the run, the rush attack was what surprised me the most. But again, I wasn't necessarily disappointed one way or the other. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens with Notre Dame because, you know, it's going to be that team where, you know, every single week, oh, are they going to get into the playoff? Are they going to get into the playoff? Are they going to get into the playoff? Because, you know, they don't have the – I'm not going to say they don't have the toughest schedule. You know, they've got, you know, three games against ranked teams currently. You know, they've got Virginia next week. 
which we'll talk about them later. They don't look particularly great. You've got USC, who is up and down, but they look like they're solid this year. you got Michigan, who doesn't look great. Um, then you got like a Virginia Tech at home at Duke, Navy, BC, Stanford. So, you know, it's not that Notre Dame can't slip up, but it's just going to be the conversation every single week. Will, will a one-loss Notre Dame team get into the college football playoff? So be prepared to uh, listen to that nonstop from the national media. Let's uh, let's move on to Pitt UCF. So UCF was a 12.5-point favorite, had been scoring about 51 points per game, gaining over 600 yards per game. And they left this game with 423 yards, 34 points, which was one point short. Pitt comes back after blowing a 21-10 lead at halftime. And... Uh, I'd say I'd say caught a lot of people off guard here. It was it was really the tale of two halves. You know, Pitt faced uh, another big fourth down situation near the goal line at the end of the game. Um, and this week, you know, there was almost no time remaining. They pulled it out. Their best uh, Boise State impression: a direct snap to the running back who pitched it to Aaron Matthews, who then threw it to Kenny Pickett for the touchdown. I was pretty shocked to see that play call there. I don't know about you, Tim. Yeah, it was it was great. That was cool. But it was uh, Pat Narduzzi called it the Pitt special. Uh, it's a play that the Eagles ran in the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. It's the Patriots. Um, so it was uh, it was an unbelievably gutsy call, and uh, they held off a very good Knights team with a very good young quarterback in Dylan Gabriel. So uh, that snaps UCF's 27 non-bowl game winning streak. And uh, I think we can officially say, Tim, Pitt is a little bit better than we expected coming into this year. No doubt. No doubt. Um, they they, they kind of blew that narrative up that we had preseason. Uh, you know, and, and you go back, you look at the stats, you know, Pitt didn't have a field day on offense. Pickett was held in check for the most part with 224 yards. What I think Pickett did well was obviously use his feet uh, to the tune of 61 yards. Um, Maurice French was able to play, you know, and be dynamic in the wide receiving core, um, you know, along with Taysier Mack. I thought that they did really well uh, to add that playmaking ability that Pitt needs. Uh, but that Pitt defense did enough to bottle up the Golden Knights and really make it hard for them. It was one of those games, if you go back and watch, and it was really, really, really entertaining. Um, but we're going to get that same brand of Pitt football where the ball gets rushed and this year, it's it's obviously uh, more faces in that backfield doing the rushing, um, but that defense still is is hard nosed, and I think that they're going to really carry the load for that Pitt team this year. And unlike last year, you're going to get just enough out of Pickett uh, to cause problems in most games. Uh, you know, I don't think Pickett last year would have been passing for uh, you know 230 yards against UCF and making those plays with the f- with his feet. He seemed to find his niche in the offense, um, and that's a problem. I mean, I, I don't know how you feel, but it, you know, the more I watch Pitt this season, the more I think that they're going to be uh, the favorites in the Coastal. Yeah, I don't I don't know if I'm there yet, um, just because I st- I still don't trust Kenny Pickett. Um, I don't like the fact that he's throwing the ball 45 plus times a game every single game. I just I think that's going to eventually cost them um, heading into the rest of the season. Now the defense is going to keep him in game. So if Pickett can manage the game like he's done the last two weeks, um, I think they'll be okay. And you know he he played well again this week. He didn't play spectacular, but he did enough to 
put them in position to win down the stretch, which is all you need. The thing that I'm I'm just not super high on with them is, you know, they're still not running the ball great, um, no. which is is going to be a problem when you go up against a defense like let's say Miami, for example. Um, you know, other than Miami, like I, I haven't seen a defense that I would be particularly like worried about in the coastal. Like Virginia's defense can play good in spurts. Uh, Virginia Tech's defense has been better. Uh, it's still kind of progressing. It's definitely not what we saw last year, but um, yeah, I'm still not sold on this pit offense. But do I think they're going to be four and eight like I projected them to be? No, I think they're going to be a little bit better than that. So uh, they will definitely be in uh, consideration for the coastal. Um, but let's let's see where it goes. So I do, also thank I do you like to Pitt defense. for for ending that narrative. Uh, you know, we don't have to worry about any quote unquote national champions coming out of Orlando this year. So thank you. Yeah, I mean, Pitt should get a ring or something. They um, should. But I'll at least get them. Maybe you know, what are those baskets? Uh, called with the fruit and the chocolate an edible arrangement i will mm. get them i will send an edible arrangement to pat narduzzi um even though i think he's a jackass i will send him that as a thank you for for doing the college football landscape a service well i'm sure he would be delighted to receive that who wouldn't uh boston college defeats rutgers on the road 30 to 16 bc was a seven point favorite so as we expected they bounced back they defeated a bad rutgers team uh, wasn't necessarily a dominant win, uh, but a game in which they they fed their strength, which was the running the running attack. So AJ Dillon had 32 carries for 150 and two scores. David Bailey also had 77 yards on the ground. They rushed for 272 yards and four touchdowns. And uh, you know after halftime, this game was pretty close at half. It was 17-13, but uh, they held Rutgers to 76 yards on the ground. So, positive for this defense after getting absolutely gashed last week against Kansas. Uh, I was a little bit disappointed by the play of Anthony Brown. He didn't really have the game that I thought he would. He was only 13-25 for 159. He's starting to look more like a game manager from a passing standpoint. Uh, He, you know, had a good day rushing, but his passing ability is, uh, is leaving a lot to be desired. So... You know, 11th straight win for BC over Rutgers. Uh, they've actually never lost. Um, but uh, former Big East foes, I'm not going to take a lot away from this game. I mean, it was a game that BC should have won. Uh, it was nice to see them kind of rebound, but I'm a little bit concerned about Anthony Brown leading this offense. Yeah, I am too. Their offense is starting to look like something out of the early 1990s uh, with the bell cow running back and not a whole lot else when it comes to offensive production. Brown's going to need to change that. Obviously, he seems to be missing the mark, and you would have expected him to have executed better um, and racked up a little bit better stats when facing Rutgers, a team that is, uh, to put it kindly, uh, not in a great position. Um, and again, you know, I, I still keep looking at this box score and watching the games and expecting Zay Flowers to pop out, but he's really gone missing the past couple of weeks. Uh, after looking just incredible the first couple of weeks of the season. So if you're Boston College, you're going to hope that the freshman can kind of find his way in that offense again and become the dynamic playmaker he looked like he was setting up to be. Um, You know, it's going to be a tough year for Boston College if they can't figure out how to get a little bit more production from Brown and company. Um, But I think the highlight of this game for me outside of the gameplay was uh, Rutgers center punching their quarterback after a touchdown pass. I thought that was really, really exciting. 
Yeah, that was uh, that was the hit of the day for sure. It was. Uh, Syracuse holds off Western Michigan 52-33. Now, the score makes it sound like it wasn't that big of a deal, but Western Michigan got this game within 5, 38-33, after Syracuse was up 21 to nothing. So, it's another week that I'm still very concerned about what exactly is going on with the Syracuse defense. It has not been what we expected it to be. Um, you know, the offense, I'd say this was their best performance of the year. You know, they had been held to a a total of 50 points in the previous three games. You know, DeVito looked pretty good, you know, 300 yards passing, four touchdowns. He also had 85 yards on the ground, including a long 60 yard run. But, um, one thing I thought was funny in the post game presser is Dino said that he was glad that DeVito started and finished the game with the same amount of interceptions. So it's yeah. kind of like throwing a little That's shade a on your quarterback deal. there, but yeah. Um, yeah. you know, Mo Neal had, had a nice day, 123 yards, yeah. two scores. You know, the offense did play better. They're still having some issues in the red zone. They need to reduce the turnovers. They lost two more fumbles in this game. And, they had 11 penalties for over 100 yards, so that has to get cleaned up. Um, I just I haven't been impressed with what I've seen out of Syracuse this year, even in the wins. And uh, I don't know if it's a coaching issue or the players just aren't going out there and executing correctly. But you know, I feel like if I were a USC, maybe my interest in Dino Babers has dropped a little bit. After uh, after seeing the first four weeks of the season, but maybe that's maybe that's a little bit too uh, too harsh on uh, on yeah. Mr. Babers. It could be it could be too harsh, and maybe we were just overrating Syracuse in the beginning of the season, like everyone else. Um, I think the biggest miss for me right now with Syracuse, and and what's not computing for me is how does that defense go from a defense we thought would be one of the better defenses in the ACC to looking like they're shaping up to be one of the worst. That's that's I, what I really am having a hard time with. I can't figure it out. Um, but Western Michigan torched Syracuse. The points total doesn't really give you an idea of how badly they torched them because there were some miscues in the red zone. A muff punt uh, gave Syracuse another touchdown. There were some mistakes on the Western Michigan side that cost them this game. But you had a quarterback go for over 350. You had a running back go for over 160. And, and this is a MAC team we're talking about here. You had a tight end go over 100 in receiving for Western Michigan. These are numbers that you would not expect them to put up in the Carrier Dome against that defense. So I think at this point, we have to tailor our expectations for Syracuse based on what we're seeing out of the defense, which is not much at this point. Um, the pass rush has been there, but outside of the pass rush, I mean, the secondary has not looked great. Uh, which you know was one of their strong points last year was their ability to generate turnovers out of the secondary, um, but it, it turns out they have a couple of turnovers that they've generated, but they can't cover anyone. So uh, I don't know how this is going to shape up for them for the rest of the year. It's a good sign that Devito played a little better and was a spark on offense, um, but man, that defense is a problem. Yeah, and one thing I'll say is uh, Levante Bellamy, who's the running back for Western Michigan, like. That guy is uh that guy's a dude. He's pretty good. Oh, he's a he's a and, beast. And uh, you know, he left the game in the third quarter. I have to wonder if this game would be different if he stayed on the field because uh, you would you would have to think so. I mean, he couldn't stop. He was him. averaging 11 yards a carry. Yeah. 
So that was a big loss to Western Michigan, but uh, either way, Bellamy is is a bell cow, and uh, you know he should he should do work for them coming up in their max schedule. But you know, Syracuse got the win. That's the important thing here, um, and and let's see if that defense can can get it together. But right now, yeah, it's, and it's I, not I think good. Just to follow up on our last podcast, I think that I'm still very very worried about the Syracuse Orange. Um, in their outlook for the rest of the season. Now, this is all subject to change because I did see some promising stuff from the offense that we hadn't seen until this uh, this point. But that defense, again, man, um, you know, this this keeping it in perspective, this was still Western Michigan. Um, exactly. Know, some good talent. That's a good. That's a talented MAC offense, but it's a MAC offense, and and that defense should have uh, imposed its will much better than they did. Uh, Louisville at FSU. This uh, this game was really uh, really close there, Tim. So I guess Willie Taggart can breathe a sigh of relief here. So FSU, for I believe the third week in a row, blew another twenty-one point lead um, after getting up big in the first, and you know they That's find right. themselves down by three in the fourth quarter. But there was a huge blown coverage by Louisville. The uh, defensive back was blitzing and uh, forgot that Tamarion Terry was, uh, you know, running the route and was wide open. Hornybrook hit him. And uh, that gave Florida State the lead for good. If you're wondering why I'm talking about Alex Hornybrook, uh, James Blackman actually went out with a knee injury. And uh, I have not heard what the extent of that is yet, but... uh, you know, we'll need to wait to find out more. He's supposed to have an MRI on Sunday, so uh, not great news for them. But, you know, Hornybrook did play well. He actually threw a touchdown in the first quarter before Blackman got hurt. Um, it was apparently a uh, a planned situation for him to come into the game at that point. But completed 15-20 for 255 and two scores. Uh, Malik Cunningham got the start for Louisville, and uh, Juwan Pass was still out injured. But, you know, he threw two touchdowns, ran for another um, and I mean, I thought, you know, Louisville did a pretty good job. The thing that surprised me yeah. was they didn't rush the ball well, and they were still in the game. They only averaged 2.6 yards per carry. Um, so, I mean, I thought that was a positive for the Cardinals. Um, Agreed. But still very much concerned about Florida State, and they, they just don't look like a very good football team. No, they don't. They, they still look disjointed. Um, you know, Hornybook, played well when he came in so that was good to see Hornybrook play well um although you know I, I hope the slim reaper heals up I think a lot of their woes earlier on in the season uh, were attributed to Blackman in a weird way when I thought uh you know he was one of the bright spots in that offense um you know he, he certainly looked composed and his passing numbers back that up um but for the most part Hornybrook went in there had no issues uh played well the playmakers did what those playmakers should be doing uh, Keyshawn Helton to Marion Terry tearing it up, um, you know, and they should be in that in that Bryles led offense. Um, but like you said, I think we're still seeing issues with that offense driving with that defense, and there's not necessarily synergy between the two units uh, because again, that defense looks so gassed in the second half, and um, I don't know if that's something they're going to be able to fix this year. Uh, you would hope it would be, but definitely concerning. Uh, you know, if you're a Seminoles fan and the fact that, you know, Florida State just can't seem to hold on to those big leads. App State at North Carolina. So UNC was a three-point favorite. The first meeting in almost 80 years for these two schools. And uh, App State left with their first win over a Power 5 conference, or a Power Conference, I should say, since beating Michigan 
in 2007. So this was a game, Tim. You know, App State won 34-31. You know, Darrington Evans had a big day, three rushing touchdowns. Uh, You know, App State blocked the field goal at the end of the game. Sam Howell got them in position to attempt a 56-yarder. Uh, that's that's a tough ask of your kicker there. But, you know, throughout the game, the Mountaineers just, to me, looked like they were the more physical team. Um, I also just don't understand why North Carolina cannot play a full game. You know, they continue no. to dig themselves holes, and they have life in the fourth quarter. They, they always have a chance of coming back, it feels like, with Sam Howell. Uh, they just get this, like, surge of energy. But... You know, they, they have to start playing more consistent. And, you know, I understand that they're battling some injuries. They had two offensive linemen out. They were down a receiver. Their top defensive back was out. But I just wanted to play consistent. That's really what I want to see from North Carolina, and it's just not happening. But, you know, how played okay. It was 27-41, 323, and two touchdowns. Um, I don't I don't know what your, what your thought was on this, but, you know, my kind of thought afterwards was, you know, one, I wasn't surprised App State won. I thought App State was is a very good program, very good team. Uh, I picked them to win. Um, but I also left thinking, you know, I think we were right that North Carolina was a pretender and not a contender after going 2-0 and because we, we saw that this team got away with a couple of wins early in the season. They got the Ws, but you didn't feel good about it from the outside. No, and it, it, exactly. We're seeing kind of what we thought we would see, um, you know, preseason heading into this season. This this team is still essentially the same team as last year. Um, that team last year had issues of pulling out wins uh, in close games. Um, Fedora let it get away from him, but in the beginning of the season, they were right there in most of their games and just ended up on the losing side. They're still fighting, I think, a lot of that loser's mentality uh, that's on that team from the past couple of years where the Tar Heels had losing records. Um, and you're starting to see that flare up in their inability to to close down on some of these wins that they should have. I thought they should have beaten App State. I think most UNC fans will too. Uh, you know, they played well enough to certainly walk away with that win. Um, you know, Thomas, quarterback for Appalachian State, really impressed me with a couple of really crucial runs and made some big-time passes. Darrington Evans obviously was great. Uh, but flip side, Howell was great for UNC. Daz Newsome, Bo Corrales really jumped off uh, off the tape when you're watching. But something about that team just isn't clicking. And I don't think the talent level is obviously where it would need to be um, to line up with the results we were seeing early on in the season. That wasn't a team that was going to be a nine-win team. Um, and it certainly looked after the two games that there might be another favorite on the coastal side of the of the conference. Um, but yeah, I, I think we're seeing what we thought we would see, which is a middling ACC team. Um, but that's a heck of an improvement compared to where they were. And you're already seeing, I think, good returns on Mac Brown. So this isn't that damning of a result. I think it's just an issue of, you know, Mac trying to win with what he's got. And you're going to have games like this when you're dealing with a team, um, that had lost so many games in recent history and, and is relying a lot on, you know, freshmen in pretty important positions. Yeah. And like I said, like we're not surprised North Carolina is losing football games. Like that's, no. that's what we expected to happen. Um, it's just when you start off two and zero against South Carolina and uh, whoever their other one was against slipping my mind right now, but Miami, Miami, uh, it's, uh, it is what it is. So, 
Right. And I think, you know, looking back on week two, I think we also thought Miami was better than I think they are at this point. Oh, yeah. Wow. So Bef- that, that before we looking less and less impressive. Before we jump to that game, one fun statistic here. North Carolina has lost nine straight games against in-state bowl subdivision teams dating back to their last victory, which happened to be NC State in 2015. Wow. That's a pretty horrendous stat if you're a North Carolina fan. So, yeah, you know, hang in there. Maybe, maybe next year. I don't know. Mac, maybe not back, but he will be. Uh, UNC also gets set to host Clemson uh, this week. So good luck. Uh, There you go. Central Michigan at Miami. So (laughs) Miami was a 30 and a half point favorite. And this was about as ugly as ugly gets for Miami. And they're just a tough team to figure out because Central Michigan coming in didn't appear to be a very good football team. They got destroyed by Wisconsin, 61 to nothing. Couldn't stop the run. I mean, derailed. Miami... Continued to beat itself. And the offensive line continues to play inconsistent. Gave up four sacks. The team had 13 penalties. They allowed a safety. They had a pump blocked. They were 1 for 10 on third downs. They had 51 yards rushing, Tim, on 34 carries against Central Michigan. With DJ Dallas in the backfield. With DJ Dallas in the backfield. So that tells you how bad the offensive line played. Horrible. Central Michigan is only averaging 370 yards per game. Their wins were over Albany and Akron. They only had 58 yards of offense and gave up 600. Miami has only given up 70 yards on the ground. What happened in this game? Like, I don't know. If you're if you're a Miami fan, which there's probably not a lot of you out there, but. I just I don't know how you're feeling about the program right now because seventeen to twelve over Central Michigan just is not acceptable. And no. I understand like you know sometimes maybe an opponent catches you off guard. You know we've seen it plenty of times in the ACC. We've seen it plenty of times as Virginia Tech fans. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but they just looked so bad because of self-inflicted penalties and or mistakes and it's just like that to me is a coaching issue so I don't know when they're going to get it cleaned up they've got a bye next week and then they host Virginia Tech I was feeling really bad about that game as a Virginia Tech fan not anymore I'm not because Miami is two and two they've lost to Florida they've lost to North Carolina They've got wins over Central Michigan and Bethune-Cookman. I'm not that impressed so far. So I, I don't I don't think we actually know how good Miami is or how bad they are. But I just think that no. we do know they're not a good football team. I think that's all we yeah. know. I think that's a fair assessment. That's surprising. Um, you know, I was high on Miami going in. I'm still high on that defense, but man, that offense just set itself back so far in my eyes with that performance against Central Michigan. I'm really not able to do anything. And when you have DJ Dallas rushing for 34 yards 
in a game against a Mac opponent, um, I'm stunned. I that offensive line is is a horror show at this point, and it's hard to see it getting any better. Um, they're an injury two or, or an injury or two away from having real problems. Um, there's not a whole lot of depth in that line, and there's certainly not a whole lot of talent. So where they go from here, I don't know. I'm a little worried. Uh, you know, Jaron Williams looked good again at times, um, but overall a little inconsistent. Uh, you know, 250 yards, he's not your problem. Um, when you look at the running game, you obviously see that that's where the issue is. But, uh, yeah, no reason to have it that close with CMU in town. Um, and, you know, the fans in Miami obviously are getting restless. Uh, and Manny Diaz is going to have to put something better together. Um, and Enos is going to have to put something better together moving forward if they're going to have a chance. Um, but also just wanted to give a quick shout-out to Khalil Pimpleton, former wide receiver uh, and one of Fuente's first recruits at Virginia Tech, uh, you know, had 11 receptions for 73 yards against the Hurricanes. So uh, shout-out to a former Hokie. He had a pretty good game. Um, but if you're Miami, you know, I don't know. They're still an unknown quantity to me. Like you said, I have no idea if they're very bad or just kind of bad or average. I just know that they're not a good football team. They're just they're going to be one of those teams that you're not going to be surprised if they beat a good team. But no. we can't be With surprised if they lose to like Georgia Tech either because that no. apparently no. is the way that they're going to play this season. That's the way they look. Teams teams with defenses like that can win any game that they're in bar Clemson um, in the conference. The only issue is if the offense doesn't pick it up, they're going to have very few wins. So defense the great equalizer exactly um let's move on to our next game tim so we've got elon at wake forest and you know not a whole lot to say about this one uh jamie newman just continues to deal 27 for 35 351 five touchdowns only one pick of course it was elon but still you know this wake offense is fun to watch so this team is very close to breaking into the top 25 i'm not sure why they haven't to be honest um, 607 total yards, 214 on the ground, 393 through the air. Cade Carney did return to a- action. He had seven carries for 93 yards. And, uh, you know, it was only the uh, seventh time in school history that they've started 4-0. So, six-game winning streak dating back to last, last season. They play BC next week. I like Wake in that one. I will tell you that. And uh, it's a pretty good time to be a Demon Deacons fan right now. Yeah, it is. You're not a lot to take from this game other than Wake Forest continues its dominant ways. Going to 4-0, and you have to think they're going to knock that door down on the top 25 soon enough. I think if you replace their name, um, you know, if it wasn't Wake Forest in the voters' minds, uh, you know, I think you'd see them breaking into the top 25 already. Uh, but you really consider what they've got. They've got a great ground game. They've got an awesome quarterback. They've got playmakers on the edge. They've got a defense that's good enough to keep them in ball games. Uh, Wake Forest is a dangerous team this year, um, but again, the, the story of the day for me is, is Newman and what a revelation he continues to be in Wake Forest. Well, if Wake Forest was UVA, they'd probably be in the top ten because you know, absolutely, as we know, their UVA is the media darling this year, and that darling uh, did not have such a great day on Saturday. So, thirty and a half point favorite hosting Old Dominion. Old Dominion up seventeen to nothing at one point in this game. And had a chance to win. There was a couple of really odd plays that really set the Monarchs back. So the first one that comes to mind is the Stone Smart 
uh, interception that was returned for a touchdown by no, yeah, uh, by UVA, and uh, it, you know it looked like he was trying to throw the ball away, but he just kind of let it hang in the air there for way too long, and it was just a terrible, a terrible throwaway if that's what it really was. Um, and it was an easy pick six for UVA, so that kind of uh, gave them new life. And then uh, you know, with over ten minutes left in the fourth quarter. ODU was deep in their own territory, and they were probably about on the 30. So Wilder chooses to go for it on fourth down, which I really didn't have a huge issue with. I just hated the play call. So you've got a good-sized quarterback in Stone Smart. It's a fourth and one. Just sneak that guy up the middle, or at the very least, just hand it to your running back. Don't run laterally across the line of scrimmage against a team that has better athletes than you have. Like, what are you thinking? Yeah, about? in the shotgun. Two plays later, UVA gets the go-ahead touchdown. They go up for good. So, tough tough break for ODU. They they played a pretty strong game for the most part. A couple of really odd miscues that we just highlighted. I do want to call attention to uh, their defensive end, Keon White. Dude had a monster game, uh, but it still wasn't enough. It just seemed like he was beating uh the offensive line every single time and he was wreaking havoc uh in the backfield specifically on Bryce Perkins and uh you know here's another game Tim where UVA only one for 11 on third down conversions ODU outgained them 270 244 in total yards and my big my three biggest takeaways was one Bryce Perkins looks wildly pedestrian as a passer you know, even I'd say below average throwing the football. And if you want to beat UVA, which Notre Dame will do next week, so we can watch the tape after that game, do everything in your power to keep him in the pocket because he's an elite runner. So love him as a runner, but passing, I'm not impressed. So if you can force him to throw the football, that's how you beat UVA. On the flip side, UVA can't run the ball unless Perkins is the one with the ball in his hands. So they were held right. to 69 yards on the ground. You can get away with that against Old Dominion, but good luck against the rest of your schedule because right. that is not going to work. And it's an area that doesn't seem to be improving. And Perkins is taking a beating week in and week out. I'm not sure how much longer that can that can last. And, you know, the third the third biggest takeaway for me, Tim, with them, they haven't been very disciplined. And for a team coached by Bronco Mendenhall, you know, they've had a lot of mental mistakes, a lot of penalties. You know, they they did last week against FSU. That rolled over into the first half of this game. And I'm pretty surprised by that because Mendenhall's a guy who typically will not kind of put up with that, but they they just they look kind of sloppy out there and they look undisciplined at times and they look like they look like they were surprised old dominion came to play in the first half so i don't know what's going on there um i think they're going to get a little bit of a reality check next week against uh against Notre Dame on the road i will say i thought joe reed made a couple of nice plays for uva uh they you know really kind of sparked um sparked their comeback but I don't know, Tim. How did you how did you feel about this one? Yeah, UVA. Like, I mean, you you really said it best. Uh, if you want to beat UVA, make sure Perkins doesn't leave the pocket, and you've got a pretty great blueprint there to build a good foundation against. They don't have playmakers outside of their quarterback. 
Um, there's nobody that moves the needle on that offense outside of Perkins, and he does it best when he's outside the pocket. I think they're, they are very close to being figured out on the offensive side of the ball. Now, I will say this. I think their defense is good enough to carry the day any day. Um, that defense continues to reign sharp. The secondary looks good. Obviously, you know what you're going to get out of Bryce Hall. But if you're a UVA fan, you, are, you should be worried uh, by the offensive performances this year. Um, I think they were expecting improvements on that side of the ball that we're not seeing. Um, at least they're not apparent to me yet. And, uh, yeah, you have to be concerned with what Perkins has done so far when it comes to passing. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know. This UVA, I know, you know, you're looking at where they are now. They're undefeated. Um, and we should be looking at them and saying, hey, they're a favorite uh, in the ACC. But I just, I'm not so sure I see it. Um, when I watch UVA play, I'm left with more concerns than anything. Um, and, you know, I... I just don't know what to expect from them moving forward. I, I expect them to keep coming out and say, you know, kind of put my doubts in my head and quiet the concerns I have for them. But they just continue to reinforce my worries that I had preseason every single game that they play. So my main takeaway was Virginia, again, still not jumping off the paper in the manner that I thought they would. And I think that most thought they would uh, if you read the preseason clippings. Um, but, yeah, they're, they're going to have to figure something out. They're going to have to do something different on offense because eventually they're going to run into another team that can score. Uh, and when they do, that's going to be a problem. Yeah, I think the, uh, you know, I, I think Joe Reed has surfaced as a playmaker in that offense. Um, he obviously had a big uh, touchdown catch and then a uh, big play on special teams as well. Um, so, I mean, from that standpoint, but they, they need somebody in the run game that's not Bryce Perkins. And I think the one thing they've got going for them right now is their 2-0 in conference play with wins over Pitt and FSU. So that kind of gives them a leg up to me over, let's say, a team like Virginia Tech that's 0-1. So they've got Miami on the road in a few weeks. They've got Duke. They've got Louisville. They've got UNC, GT, and Virginia Tech. You know, I'd like them to win most of those games, um, but I also think we're getting to a point now where I can see Virginia slipping up against a Duke or Absolutely. a North Carolina or, you know, Louisville maybe less so, but Louisville's been good. So they're they're not the, the pushover that we expected them to be. Um, and the more game tape you get on them, the more teams are going to be able to figure out how to contain Bryce Perkins and keep him in that pocket. Now, he gets out there and he starts dancing and, you know, making guys miss, he's tough to bring down. Um, oh, yeah. But, you know, at the end of the day, if, if you're going to beat them, it's it's forcing him to throw the football. So uh, I was surprised to see them jump three spots in the uh, recent polls. I'm not sure if anybody actually watched the game that they played last night, but that was not a team that uh, I would consider a top 20 team. But, you know, that's just me. Maybe I'm biased. Uh, let's jump over, Tim, to NC State and Ball State. So, NC State came into this one a 19-point favorite. They leave as a 34-23 victor, but it looks like this offense has some issues. Yeah, the offense has issues at quarterback um, that now you're starting to see rear its ugly head. And I think they've got issues with the scheme that they're running on offense. I think it's very clear they've got two inexperienced offensive coordinators calling the plays. Um, concerns for NC State on offense – 
uh, you know, those those aren't going to go away. I think the defense looked a little concerning, too. They didn't tackle anywhere near as well as they should have against Ball State. The interesting story to watch is going to be, you know, Bailey Hockman got a couple of drives in the NC State game or in the Ball State game with NC State and looked pretty good. Uh, Matt McKay had the bulk of the drives, uh, every drive outside of two, and looked uh, very, very, very pedestrian. So whether or not that's going to change in the near future, no one really seems to know. Um, But Matthew McKay has to start hitting open wide receivers. Um, And he's going to have to start playing quarterback with decisiveness that he's not been playing with to this point. Uh, You know, he's a guy that's fast, but he's one of those guys that I think his mind kind of slows him down a little bit. Uh, It seems like he's always focused on progressions and never really 100% commits to anything that he's doing. Um, And so that makes him look a little slower on the football field. And I think a little conviction would go a long way when it comes to Matt McKay and his play. Um, But yeah, Dave Doran's got a lot to figure out with that team. Uh, you know, I still think they're going to win this in the season around six, seven, eight wins, something like that. Uh, I'd say more towards seven or eight just because the schedule is really soft. But, um, yeah, they're a far cry from last year's offense. There's no question. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's a little bit concerning, to be honest. Uh, they've got Florida State coming up, so that's going to be a really intriguing matchup because you've got Florida State that's just not a very well-coached team. And I don't think coaching's the issue here at NC State. I think it's just no. the the offense doesn't seem to be working as as they would like. You also had Bam Knight leave in the second half with the hamstring in, in, injury, so it'll be uh, you know that that'll be something big to watch as as we head into next week. But you know, I'm sure they'll get it figured out. Um, and you know, a, a win over Florida State would help help right the ship there. Sure. Uh, Let's talk about Clemson. I don't have much to say here. So Clemson was a 41-point favorite. They won by 42. Trevor Lawrence was 7 for 9, 94 yards and two touchdowns. And Stabo pretty much just used this as an opportunity to get some other guys some looks. So uh, it basically just served as an extension of a bye week with a few offensive series for the starters. Yeah. That was a great summary of the game. Um, you know, not a lot to say there. They no. beat the brakes off Charlotte just like everybody thought they would. Um, and yeah, they use uh, games like that to get some of their, uh, you know, lightly used players some game time and get them used to game action. So mission accomplished, and Clemson marches on. So that is uh, that is it. That's our week four recap. And uh, wow, we're heading into the last week of September. So. Teams are really starting to kind of uh, turn into form here. We're starting to realize who they are and and if they're going to be good and if they're not going to be good. And then there's teams like Miami, Virginia Tech, and we have no idea what to think of those two teams. So uh, the Coastal remains the Coastal. It's a uh, it's a crapshoot every week. Um, but a uh, couple of big matchups coming up that we will preview for you this this week. But uh, you know, if this is your first time joining us, you know we're glad you're here. Be sure to hit that subscribe button. You can find us uh, anywhere that you would listen to a podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Store, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. We are currently on. Uh, Or you can head over to chowderandgrits.com and uh, find us there. Tim, why don't you tell these fine people what they can do for us? Leave us a review. Share our content. Tell your friends. Uh, Getting the word out is what helps us most. And we certainly appreciate everything you guys have done to this point. Um, you know, we just thank you to take the time out of your day and listening to us on a weekly basis. And we look forward to continue churning out episodes for you. 
Um, again, thanks for tuning in. We appreciate all the support, and we look forward to previewing uh, week five with you guys soon. And uh, with that, we'll leave you with a go ACC and down with UCF. See you guys later. <laughs>